Hello, and welcome to another special edition episode of the Pure Faith Podcast. In this episode, we are going to be doing another sermon series. It is a sermon that I gave on June 26th. So as of the release date for this episode, it would have been the day before. And this one is on a similar topic to what we did last week, but we took it in a little bit different direction. So we just ask that you listen in, and we hope you enjoy it, and we hope it speaks to you. And remember to go on to your favorite podcast app and leave a review so others can find us. Uh, You can also go to our website, which is purefaithliving.com. And if you are interested in watching this sermon, then you can go to our Facebook page, which is facebook.com backslash purefaithpodcast. And the recording of this sermon will be on there. So we hope you enjoy. So I know it looks like the same thing as last week, but I promise you it's not. We are doing something different. And I don't know how well this is going to go, because just to share a little story from this morning, I was going through my notes this morning, and I was sitting down, and I won't tell you where I was sitting, but I was sitting down, and I had Zeke standing beside me with his rider toy running it up and down my arm and on my shoulder. And then I had Eli in front of me with one of Paige's hair bands going through my notes. And I'm sitting there trying to read and study. So hopefully hopefully this goes well. Um, so yes, it, it may look like it's the same thing as last week, but we are doing something different. And we are going to be looking at the gospel symbols. And as a reminder, the gospel symbols, the arrow up is, or the first one, the arrow down is, Jesus came down from heaven. Then we have the cross, which represents the fact that Jesus died on the cross for us. We have the happy donut, which is supposed to represent the tomb, and that is Jesus was placed in the tomb. And then after three days, we have the up arrow, where Jesus rose from the dead and eventually ascended into heaven. And then the last down arrow, that Jesus will come again in judgment of the living and the dead. And we are going to kind of cover these we're going to do it a little bit different today. And we're going to do that different because it's going to look like this. That's right. We got a little bit extra going on there. So we put the dollar sign. Now, I have to admit, I haven't seen this anywhere else. This is coming from my own mind, so I don't know if it's any good or not. I think it's good, so I'm sharing it. But this, this extra symbol in there, that symbol, that dollar symbol, what does that symbol represent? Exactly. It represents money, cost, sacrifice, things like that. And the Lord has put this on my heart a while ago, uh, quite a while ago. And I've just never had the opportunity to share it yet. So this would be my first opportunity to share it. And I think this, this holds a very powerful message, this whole cost. Because when we accept those gospel symbols, when we accept Jesus into our lives, we are then called to live according to his will. (laughs) But that's not always easy to do. When we do that, it costs us something. We have to pay for that in one way or another. And that's where this extra dollar sign comes into place. And the first thing that we want to look at is relationships. 
So this whole message is going to be about the lifestyle that Jesus calls us to live. And then the cost for that lifestyle. It's going to cost us to live in the will of Christ. So the first one is, is like I said, it's relationships. And we're going to start in Luke 14, 25 through 27. And this reads, Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. So here in verse 26, Jesus is saying, you know, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, and yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. So what's he mean by this? It means that you have to be willing to sacrifice relationships. You have to be willing to walk away from people that you know. Some examples of this is Your family. If your parents are blocking you from having that good, full relationship with the Lord, Jesus is telling us we need to walk away. We need to walk away from our parents. Same thing goes for your spouse and your children. If they are preventing you from developing that relationship with the Lord, you need to walk away. Siblings, same thing. Walk away. Even your own life. If you have a choice between living or denying Christ, deny Christ, give up your life. Or don't deny Christ, give up your life. Let me make sure I say that right. Let's be wrong. That'd be bad. So yes, deny your life and live for Christ. I know this sounds harsh, and I admit it. It's harsh. I'm a little uncomfortable being up here saying it because that. That is a big thing to understand. But let's look back at what the apostles did. The original apostles. Every single apostle, besides John, was martyred. Every single one gave up their life. Everyone. So let's go to Matthew 4, 18-22. And this reads, and this, yes, all the apostles gave up their life. They gave up more than just their life. Before they even gave up their life, they gave up other things, relationships. They gave up a lot. So this is what Matthew 4, 18-22 says. So as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, and this is going to sound familiar because Pastor talked about this a couple weeks ago, but as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two brothers, 
two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So again, it probably sounds familiar because the pastor was talking about this a couple weeks ago. But what did Peter and Andrew do? They dropped their nets and walked away. They gave it all up. They just dropped it, went and followed Jesus. What did James and John do? They left their boat and father and walked away. They walked away. What's more important than Jesus? Nothing. You have to be willing to sacrifice everything to follow Jesus. But even with that being said, let's not forget our message our message from the last few weeks. And that's all about casting your nets. If your family is willing to come along on the journey, bring them. If, if they are willing, even if they're not willing to accept Jesus Christ, if they are willing to accept you and the life that you choose as a follower of Christ, that's good. You don't have to walk away. It's when they are trying to prevent you when they are standing in your way, when they are giving you barriers to prevent you from reaching the Lord, that's when you walk away. That's when you break the ties. So we just need to remember that we need to cast our nets and try to bring as many people with us as we can. We need to, just like last week's message, we need to spread the kingdom. Every person that we bring to the Lord is one more person in our kingdom army. So, just remember that you need to be willing to sacrifice your relationships. So next, we have money. This is kind of obvious. So, we can see this in many places, but we're going to get Matthew 19, 20 through 24. But first, I want to set the stage a little bit. So, in this... There's a man that comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, what do I have to do to have eternal life? And Jesus says, basically, just follow the commandments. Follow the commandments, you're good to go. And this is where the man replies, once I find my spot. I gotta turn the page, that's fine. So, verse 20 says, All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad, because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. So what does this mean? Well, it doesn't mean that if you're wealthy, it's bad. It's not saying that wealth is bad. It's not saying poor is bad. I hate to break it to you. The Lord doesn't care what your financial status is. He doesn't care what you have in the bank account. He doesn't care about any of that stuff. What he does care about is what you do with your wealth. 
And I know this is a slippery slope, so I'm going to stick with Scripture here, and we're going to go to Luke 14, 12 through 14. And it says, Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So what this is saying is we have to understand something with this parable. If somebody is throwing a banquet and inviting people, these random people to this banquet, they got money. This It's not cheap to throw a banquet. So they're saying, if you're having a banquet, if you know, you're doing anything of this type of nature, the most important thing is don't invite other wealthy people. Invite those that are less fortunate. Give to the poor. Help the needy. That's what this is talking about. And in today's society, well, it's pretty easy. I mean, obviously, church tithing falls into this category. But you can also give to any charitable, nonprofit organization. So let's be honest here. Anybody will take your money. You got money to give, there's somebody that will take it. I mean, if you're going to give it to me, I'll take it. I don't, I'll take mine. I don't care. But it's not about just giving the money. Because let's be honest here. If you're giving to 10 charities every month, but if your heart's not in it, it means nothing to the Lord. It's all about the heart. You have to willingly and freely give of that wealth. And if you are giving willingly and freely, a small donation somewhere will be more impactful than 10 donations somewhere else if your heart's not in it. So it's all about the heart when it comes to giving. And so this is going to our third one, which is time. And for me, this is the most powerful one. This one isn't as easy to see. It's not like I can just, hey, look at the scripture. Here it is. So this one I'm going to have to work at building. So I'm going to have to stay with me here. Trust me, it, it'll make sense once I get to the end. So we're going to start with the Magi story in Matthew. And this is in Matthew 2. We're going to start with verses 1 and 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So the first thing that I want you to notice with this is the fact that the little phrase, when it rose. So the Magi seen the star when it rose. What does when that rose represent? That represents the birth of Jesus. They first seen that star when Christ was born. So moving on, verses 7 through 11. Then Herod called 
the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So, something else that I want you to notice, there's a few things to notice here in this section. And the first is that whenever the star rose again after they talked to Herod, well, something to know that these magi came from the east, and they weren't close by. They were, it was a long journey for them to get to King Herod. But they didn't have the star guiding them necessarily the entire time. They knew the general direction and the general location of where Jesus was. They didn't know the exact location. If they knew the exact location, they never would have went to King Herod to begin with. They would have went straight to Jesus. They only went to King Herod to find out where Jesus was. So, with that, something else that, since they did go to King Herod, Herod then found out from them when they first seen those stars. So by finding out when they first seen the star, when the Magi first seen these stars, or that star, they now King Herod kind of has an idea of when Jesus was born. And from that point to this point, where they are, where the Magi are with King Herod, we see that some time has gone by. And we'll see this in the next section. For this one, I also want to point out that the Magi entered into a house. Jesus wasn't born in a house. He was born in a stable, placed in a manger. But the Magi went and entered into a house when they seen Jesus. So keep that in mind. We'll, we'll come back to that one, too. And, and I do promise I'll tie this all together. So the next one that I want to cover is verse 16. And verse 16 reads, When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. So, again, Herod found out when the star appeared from the Magi. So he kind of had an idea of when Jesus was born. Now he's ordering all boys, two years old and under, to be killed. This decree is based on what King Herod learned from the Magi. So from this, we can have a pretty good guess that Jesus was no older than two years old. And so who's the toddler? I mean, 
he wasn't a baby in the manger like a lot of your your old time Christmas stories assume. It's not Jesus is born and all of a sudden the magi walk in and got these gifts. Another random fact is we don't know that there's three magi. The Bible never says there's three magi. We don't know. It could have been one. It could have been a hundred. Nobody knows. The Bible doesn't tell us. So it's just traditionally it's three magi because there's three gifts. So they needed magi to carry each gift. So three magi, three gifts. Put it works. That's how the math works. But as a side note, tangent. Sorry. Um. Now I lost my place. So yes, Harry found out when how Jesus was. That's why he, he ordered that decree or he gave that decree to kill all boys two years old and under. And that was based on the time that he got from the Magi. So now let's take and weave all this together. And the first thing that we get from these scriptures is that the Magi seen the star when it first rose. Again, which signaled the birth of Jesus. Second, the Magi traveled to the area where Jesus was born. I already partially explained this. They traveled to the area because they didn't know exactly where Jesus was. Once they left Herod, the star came back and led them to the exact place where Jesus was. Third, Herod learned from the Magi the exact time that they had seen the star in the first rose, which indicated the birth of Jesus. Fourth, the Magi entered into a house. Again, we talked about this. He wasn't in a manger. He was in a house, which means he has grown to a certain point. And I'm going to take another short tangent here. Why would Jesus still be in Bethlehem when he's two years old? And the reason is, traveling in that time frame, in that area, was very difficult. The fact that Mary made that, that journey pregnant is a miracle of its own. But now, to travel back with an infant is even harder. So they stayed in Bethlehem until Jesus got to a certain age, which, as we see from Scripture, it was shortly after this Magi story, that they left. They did that so Jesus could handle that journey to wherever they were going. So that was my little short tangent. Uh, I think I'm on fifth. Uh, Herod ordered the death of all boys two years old and younger. Again, we talked about this and why why he chose this age of two years old. The sixth, Jesus must have been around two years old when the Magi finally reached him. So how does this all relate back to sacrificing time? I know we're talking about Jesus and how old he was and the fact that, that Herod ordered these boys to be murdered. But that's not what I want to focus on. Let's look at the Magi. If the Magi seen that star when it first rose, and Jesus was almost two years old by the time they got to him, they sacrificed almost two years of their lives in traveling. Why? To find a toddler, a Jewish toddler. Guess what? The Magi weren't Jewish. 
There's no reason why they should be worshiping the king of the Jews. They weren't Jewish. But they sacrificed two years just to get to Jesus. Guess what? They had to go home. Now, granted, it probably didn't take them two years to get home because they were searching for Jesus on their way out. But still, they had to have sacrificed at least three years of their lives just to find Jesus. And what did they do when they got there? They bowed down. Sorry. They bowed down and they worshiped him. I'm okay. <laughs> I told you I think it's powerful. So yes, they bowed down and worshipped the two-year-old Jewish toddler. But not only did they bow down and worship him, they gave him expensive gifts. Gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Those were super expensive gifts for that time. Very expensive. So not only did they sacrifice three years to travel to see Jesus and travel home, they gave him expensive gifts as well. Gifts that cost them money. But only that, they were gone for three years. Chances are they sacrificed relationships as well. Just to worship a two-year-old child. So, as the praise teams come forward, and as I start to gather myself here, I want to leave you with this. Relationships can be mended. Or new ones can be formed. Money can be earned. But time? Time is the greatest price you will ever pay. Because no matter what happens, we can't get more time. Time can't be mended. Or formed. Like relationships can. Time cannot be earned like money. And you cannot... I repeat, you cannot buy more time. Therefore, every second that you spend worshiping God, every second that you spend in prayer, every second you spend reading your Bible, you are paying the ultimate price to God. Time.